good morning. You ready to laugh? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty poor. You ready to laugh? Why not laugh, right? Um, anyway, this is a story that men will really appreciate. Uh, happy Father's Day, men. I was uh, so pleased that my wife brought me coffee today. I was just getting up, and I thought, you know, this could be a, an everyday occurrence, right? <laughs> anyway, a uh, story is told of a, of a pastor who went to visit an elderly woman in his church, and uh, he was just enthralled in the conversation as they were talking, and she was talking about life and all she'd experienced, and, and uh, they were seated there at the, uh, in the living room, and there was a bowl of peanuts in front of the pastor, and he started eating the peanuts, and before long, he'd eat the whole bowl of peanuts, and he looked at the lady, and he said, I am so sorry. I've, I've eaten all the peanuts. She said, oh, that's okay, honey. Since I lost my teeth, I just sucked the chocolate off of them. Oh... How many of you want peanuts now, right? How many of you will eat peanuts out of an open bowl ever again? Well, you know, life is filled with a lot of joy, and we need to find joy in whatever we do and wherever we go. And, and as we start to think about the path that God has for us, God told us about his joy, that his joy would be in us, that our joy might be made full. So it's not about circumstances that bring you joy. It's about his joy in you. So when his joy is in you, it wants to get out. And so when it gets out, it doesn't mean that all the circumstances and difficulties of life go away. It simply means that you have a resource that you didn't have before that now can provide you joy that's abiding every day of your life regardless what goes on. Well, as we study in the book of Genesis, we are in this little section, uh, really from chapter 6 to 9, where we're talking about Noah and the flood. So I want to direct your attention to Genesis chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, and listen to what the Word of God says. God says, and behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under the heaven all flesh which is in the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish, he says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. So he looks at Noah and he says, Noah, you and I are going to have an agreement. You and I are going to have a covenant. Now, we don't use that term a lot anymore. But the idea of a covenant was something that was binding, but it was personal. It was something that God would set up the, and, and establish the conditions of that covenant. And that what that would do is that would bind Noah and God together. Noah, in turn, would have that agreement that would oversee and overshadow his entire family. So it says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. You shall go into the ark. So I want you to be protected. Part of what it means to be in covenant with God, it means to be protected by God. So you've got to go into the ark. Now, Noah could have said, you know, I don't really think I want to go into the ark. Kind of like you could say, I don't know if I want to trust in God. Or I don't know if I can depend on God in this situation. How many times have you heard people say something like this? Well, you know, I really prayed and God didn't do anything. Or where is God right now? Why isn't God working in my life? I see him working in other people's life, but I'd like to experience a little bit of that miracle working myself. He says, go into the ark. I want to just tell you right now, go into the ark. Go into the ark of God's protection 
right now. See yourself going in. If you want to just kind of put it in your mind and say, there's a Greek, a, a large wooden box, I'm going to go in the ark. Well, go into God and say, God, I'm going to go into you. I'm going to trust in you, and the rains may come, the storms may come, the difficulties may come, but I'm going to go into you and trust you. He says, go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. So he says, Noah, you have a responsibility not just to go into the ark. You have a responsibility to take your family with you into the ark. In other words, protect your family. Now, whether your family is a family of one or of hundreds, you have a responsibility is what God is saying. Now, one thing I've noticed about guys is they love great deals. How many guys like great deals? So um, when I was living in uh, New Jersey, uh, I had uh, an old Porsche, a 1970 Porsche, and a friend of mine ran an inner city mission. And this inner city mission, they had somebody donate an older Porsche that didn't run, didn't have any glass in it. It was the ugliest thing you've ever seen. It was a 1958 Porsche. He called me up and he said this, this is a great deal. And I said, what's a great deal? He said, would you just make a donation? Uh, we're going to take bids. We're going to make a donation to buy this car. And I said, I don't want it. I have a two-car garage. I already have three cars, and, uh, and one of them is already old, and now you want to get me in another old car. He said, seriously, this is going to be a great deal. I said, okay, well, I'll just go look at it. I go look at it, and I take my wife to protect me. You know what I mean? Because you know what will happen. Guys, you know what will happen? I'm coming home with the car, right? So I go look at it. It is so ugly. It has this patina green finish all over it because it just been moldy setting around. It was cracked where they put Bondo on it. It had no glass in it. didn't run. Opened up the, the hood on it, which is in the back, and it's full of leaves. And I think, this is just really bad. And the guy says, what do you think? And I said, no, I don't think so. And I look at my wife, and she gave me that look. <laughs> Guys, you know, you know the look I'm talking about? Like, don't even think about buying this car, right? He said, why don't you just make an offer? I said, no, I don't want the car. In fact, I'd have to tow it to my house. I can't even drive it there. And that's going to cost me 50 bucks to have it towed. He says, just, would you just make a bid on it, and then that way maybe other people will kind of be, because we've been, had this out here and nobody's wanted it. I'm thinking, yeah, no kidding. And so anyway, I said, okay, $2,500. He looks at me like he's insulted. He's already begged me to make a bid. He said, I said, $2,500. I said, that's ridiculous. You know this car's worth more. It may be, but not to me. So I, I made my bid, and I go home, and all I could think about was the next week if I won the bid. I want the car. I want the car so bad. I just can't think. I can't sleep. I can't, I, I can't tell my wife. I want the car. I even called him up, and I said, hey, how's the bidding going? He said, you're the only bidder. And I'm going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, now I want this wreck of a car for some reason. And because, you know why? It was a great deal. It really was a great deal. Guess who ended up winning the bid for the car? Yours truly. I tow it home. I have to put a tarp over it to keep the snow out of it, you know, because in New Jersey it does that kind of stuff. And I have to, and I, all I can think about is the car. How am I going to get this car running? How am I going to get this car fixed? Well, over a period of, of really a couple of years, I ended up rebuilding this car from the ground up, putting new paint on it, everything else. By the time I was all done, remember I started $2,500. By the time I was all done, would you want to guess how much money I'd put in this car? How many of you would say $10,000 or more? Raise your hand. You're totally wrong. I put $3,000 and I had $5,500 in this car. That's all. And it was beautiful. Beautiful. 
So we move out here, we transport the cars out here, and then my daughter goes to college. Can you you see where this is going? You know where this is going, right? You know, the thing that looked like a great deal ended up being a really great deal. So anyway, my daughter's in college. You know what that's like. You're trying to pay college bills. You don't have enough money. So I ended up, I said, I've got to sell one of these cars. So I put it on the uh, Craigslist. I put it on Bob's list and everybody else's list. I'm trying to sell this car. And so uh, I wanted to sell that car. Guy shows up, and he says, I want to buy that one. And then another guy shows up and said, I want to buy. I end up selling both cars. And it paid for my daughter's college. That's not bad, right? But I never told my daughter because I didn't want her to feel bad about it. She said, Daddy, why would you sell your Porsche? She asked me about a year ago. I said, uh, so you could go to college? She said, I feel really bad. And I said, good, I want you to. I want you, I want you weeping and in misery. And one day, someday in life, when you make it big, I want you to buy me another one because I have none of those anymore. All you have is no college debt. That's what came out of that. Well, you know, this is a great deal. See, here's what I want you to see. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18, God says, I will establish my covenant with you. Let me tell you something. That's a great deal. Let me show you the terms of the covenant. Put in the words by Richard Booker, listen to what he said. Here's what a covenant really is from God's perspective. All of my assets are yours. Now think about that. All of my assets are yours. All my money, all my property, and all my possessions are yours. If you need any of them, you don't even have to ask. Just come and get it. What's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. And if I die, all my children are yours by adoption, and you are responsible for my family. But at the same time, you also get all my liabilities. If I ever get in trouble financially, I don't even have to come and ask you for money. I come to you, and I say, where's our checkbook? I want you to think about that. When God entrusted himself to you, he said, I'm yours. Everything I have is yours. You are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you more than you could ever imagine. And when I made a covenant with you, I made an agreement with you that is a great deal. A great deal. Do you know that words create reality in a sense? Have you noticed how when you say something, how it se- you seem to experience it or feel it? If you say something like this, oh, I'm really sad today. Have you ever noticed how quickly you can get sad? Have you ever said something like this? Well, I'm really feeling sick, and before long, you're sick. Words have an ability to create a reality in our world. And when we begin to think about this matter of religion, you know, I I tell people all the time I hate religion. People look at me like with shock. How can you hate religion? Because religion is form without power. It is form without power. It is going through routines and rituals, but there is no power of God in you. Don't you want to experience the kind of walk with God where you have power with God? You see, what you become aware of, you are positioned to release. Now think about that for a moment. Don't let that slide past you. What you become aware of, you are positioned to release. We are to release the presence of God on earth. When you become aware of God's presence in your life, you are positioned to release God's presence in this world. When you become aware of the power of God or the kingdom of God, 
You are positioned to release the power of God and the kingdom of God in your world. When you simply say something like this, I believe that the presence of God is powerful right now in my world, in my sphere of existence, you will begin to experience the very presence of God. That's the way God designed it. That's why he said, when you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's right now being done in heaven. In other words, I want you to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth when you become aware of it simply by that simple prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is already being done in heaven. You are going to experience some of the kingdom in your life. Now, in Romans chapter 8 and verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul tells us something about this idea of the covenant and of what God has given us in Christ. Let me, let me just read this to you. It says, the Spirit, now this is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. You see, you have a human spirit. Your human spirit is filled by the Holy Spirit. And what happens is you can have an alignment there with your spirit and with the Holy Spirit, there's communication there. There's agreement there. So as you walk in the world, what you can do is you can actually know that the Spirit of God is bearing witness or agreeing with your spirit. You feel that connection with God. And it says it bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do I know I'm a child of God? By the Holy Spirit bearing witness with my spirit, confirming that. It's not because I go to church. That doesn't make me a Christian. It's not because I get baptized or go through any rituals. That doesn't make me a Christian. What it is is I've come to this relationship with God, and I know that I know because his spirit is bearing witness in my spirit. Now look what it says, that we are children, and if children, look at this, then heirs. You mean, you know what an heir is? I get I get what you've leave, you leave for me. What does God says he leaves for me? He says heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If I'm a joint heir with Christ, what does that mean? Jesus and I split everything. Not a bad deal. Can we all say that's a good deal? That's a good deal. Jesus and I split everything. We are joint heirs with God. So God wants you to understand in this spirit of adoption, in this life that we have in God, that we have what he has. He wants us to access what he has. What if you, when it, what if you had a father who said, anytime you need any money, just go in the top drawer and help yourself? What would you do? I'd be there every day. I'd be looking for a refilling. Hey, I've cleaned it out. Can you refill that? My dad used to say that to me. He said, in the top drawer, there's a stack of 20s. If you need them, help yourself. Now, when you tell that to a 16-year-old boy, <clears throat> needs go up pretty fast. And I remember going in there, and there was five 20s in there, and I thought, well, you know, I should leave him a 20. <laughs> so I took four of the five 20s, put them in my pocket, I think I went down to uh, the little car store. I got some new mats for my car. I think I went and got a Burger King. And oh, I was just, I was in need. I was desperately in need for stuff, you know. And then, then my dad, he kind of discovered it the next day. And he said, son, I noticed that you took $80 out of the top drawer. Describe the need to me. Hmm. Well, dad, you know, when I get in my car and my shoes are muddy, 
the mats that I had were not very pretty, so I wanted to protect my car. You didn't understand that of investments, right? Uh-huh, what else? I was hungry. I went down to Burger King, and I went through the whole thing. I think I had about 15 or $20 left. I don't know even what I spent it. I bought gas, bought my buddy's gas probably. Who knows what I did? Well, you know, I wasn't being a good steward of the responsibility God had, but God wants to say to us, when you have a need, I'm there. What do you need? What do you really need? Not what do you really want, what do you really need? Because you are an heir of God. You're joint heirs with Christ. Let me take it to another story. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Here's the kid that comes to his dad, and he says, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance, and he goes out and blows it completely, right? Just completely blows everything he has. And he's, he's in want. He's run out of money. He's run out of friends. He's run out of everything. He says, I'm going to go back to my father. Well, the interesting thing is when he comes back to the father, we'll get to that part of the story, the older brother sees what's going on, and he doesn't like it at all. He doesn't like the fact that the father accepted the son back because why? The son was a no good in his eyes. You see, sometimes Christians can be judgmental about the grace of God. Isn't that interesting? Look, let me show you the scripture. Luke chapter 15 and verse 31. He said to him, son, now this is what he says to the older son when he's upset. He said, son, you are always with me. Hey, you've been here all along. You've always experienced my love. What's your problem? And he said, and all that I have is yours. You see that idea of inheritance, that idea of sharing in the covenant? And all that I have is yours. Son, you are with me always, and all that I have is yours. Oh, but the prodigal son. Oh, what does he do? He comes back, and the father sees him coming. He sees him from a distance. You know, maybe you feel like a prodigal sometime in your life, and God sees you coming. He's always looking down the street, waiting for the prodigal to come home. He sees him coming. He runs to him, and what does he do? He throws his arm around him. He kisses him. He puts a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, and shoes on his feet, and he calls for them to kill the fatted calf. He says, let's have a barbecue. Let's have a, let's have a party. Let's make merry, because this is my son that was lost, and now he is found. Do you ever think about that story and slow down and just see what's going on? I want to put that story in slow motion for just a minute. Let's just start with the robe. Why did he put his robe on him? You might say, well, he needed one. You might say it was cold, but wouldn't the father be cold? Well, he was sacrificing. But there's more to that story than that. Because you see, in the, in the Old Testament, when you made a covenant with someone, what you did was you took off your coat and you put it on the other person. And this is what it meant. It represent the person himself. You're saying, I'm giving you all that I am, my total being, and all of my life I pledge to you. Son, all that I am I pledge to you. When you come to Christ, he's looking at you and saying, all that I am, I pledge to you. Everything I have is yours. I will sacrifice everything, even my only son, for you. Because we are in a covenant agreement. And then he said, now let's go over and we're going to have a party. We're going to kill the fatted calf. You see, the meal was the way that you completed the union of the covenant. Did you ever notice Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there will you be also. And what follows that is the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, it's the meal that completed it. Did you ever think about in communion what it is? Jesus said, I have this covenant with you, and I'm going to have this last what? 
supper with you. I'm going to complete the covenant. Do you know that marriage is all built around the idea of a covenant? Let me show you that. Even the cutting of the cake. What happens? The cutting of the cake, they cut the cake, and what do they do? They feed each other. Now, half the time it ends up all over each other's face, but the idea is I'm going to feed you this cake, you're going to feed me this cake. That was a sign of the covenant. It was literally saying this, I'm going to feed you, and everything that is in me is going to be in you, and everything that is in you is going to be in me, and there is a bonding of a covenant. That's why marriage is a covenant. It's a joining of people together. See, one flesh doesn't just mean having to have that intimate relationship. It means there is a joining and a union of two people into one. Jesus says, Jesus says, when you come into covenant with me, I come into you, you come into me. There is a joining together. There is an understanding and a depth and an intimacy that goes way beyond what you could ever imagine. You see, guys, a lot of guys stay away on Father's Day because they say, I always get beat up on Father's Day. How come they're always nice to the women? How come the guys get beat up? Well, guys, we're not beating you up today. In fact, we want you to hit a home run. In fact, you may have already hit a home run. Don't know it. You see, guys are really good about being beat up on the things that they can't control and they can control. And they never finally get the encouragement. I want you to know last week I talked about Moneyball. Some of you were here and you heard about the, the movie I tried to watch three times and I was totally, totally just you know, walled up all around me. I couldn't rent it on anything I could find. I didn't have it. And I want you to know that I got in the mail and on my doorstep copies of Moneyball this week, DVDs. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'd also like some new designer jeans this week. (laughs) But there's a scene in Moneyball that I really love, and it's a scene of this kind of a really big baseball player, and he's not very fast. He's never made it past first base only because he's too slow. So celebrating what I talked about last week, we're going to show you a clip from Moneyball. So let's watch the screens, all right? Here's the metaphor. Some of you are standing on first base, and you hit a home run. You don't even know it. You're on first base. And God's like that, that coach on that, on that first base. He's saying, would you just keep running? You hit a home run. I want you to say this with me. I hit a home run. Now I want you to say it like you mean it, like you were at a baseball game. I hit a home run. You see, when you run with God, you hit a home run every single time. And you sometimes get stopped on first base because wrong thinking or beliefs will defeat you. Wrong thinking, that is, beliefs, will defeat you. Do you know what your emotions are? I think God gave us emotions for a lot of reasons, but one is they're flags that indicate to us what we're thinking. If you are depressed, it only points back to wrong thinking, not to your circumstances. Haven't you known people that have been in very difficult circumstances and are not depressed? What makes the difference? Wrong thinking or beliefs, what does it do? It defeats you. The areas where you are anxious indicate wrong beliefs. Think about your emotions as a flag. When you have an emotion that's joy or emotion that's sadness or defeat or discouragement, think about it like a little flag that's coming out. It's saying, look to your mind, look to your belief system. What are you believing? What are you thinking about? Because it's going to point you back to your thinking. 
But right thinking or beliefs, it unlocks the kingdom of God for you. If I can just say, I'm going to go ahead and think the right thoughts, know that God is for me, that I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, what I'm going to do is I'm going to unlock the kingdom power in my life. I'm going to see God do something. I'm going to see God work because, you see, what happens is right beliefs unlock those treasures that God has in store for me every single day. Let me take you to Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17. Look at this scripture, very powerful. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Now, I want you just to stop and look at that. Weapon formed, you mean they're formed? Absolutely. The enemy has weapons already formed against you. They're custom designed to defeat you. They're custom designed to take your belief system and defeat you, discourage you, send you down the wrong road. But it says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Just because the enemy's forming weapons doesn't mean they're going to be effective. Now look what it says. And every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage. You see, you have a heritage that allows you to protect you and those within your sphere of influence. And it says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Now there's two promises here. Here's the first one. You will experience challenges. How's that for good news? Is that, is that new news to anyone here? You're going to experience challenges, but you don't have to face them with wrong beliefs and wrong attitudes. You can face them with right attitudes, right beliefs. But here's the second promise. You will overcome. You will overcome. You might suffer a setback. You might get knocked down. You might get discouraged from time to time, but you're not going to be overcome because you have the promise of God. This is your heritage. You have been given this from God. So don't let, that is, don't give permission to circumstances, darkness, or difficulty. Don't let those things shape your awareness of the heavenly atmosphere that you live in and dwells upon you. The weapons are formed. The bullets may be flying, but you will overcome. Just say, I will overcome. You see, when we start to think about it, your victory is not from you, it's from the Lord. My victory is from the Lord. Your victory is just around the corner. And if you get still long enough and let the anxious feelings die down, if you listen carefully, you can hear the footsteps of victory. You have to listen, though. That's why God says, be still and know that I am God. You have to be still long enough to let God enter in to your situation. God, what are you doing here? And if you just hear him, every once in a while you can start to hear him. Do you hear him? They're coming. The victory is from the Lord. Your victory is just around the corner. You just have to listen to the victory. Praise him when? All the time. Praise him when things go right. Praise him when things go wrong. I want to ask you something. This is a question. If you can see that, it's a $20 bill. Okay, I just want you to shout, how much is it worth? This is not a trick question. <laughs> All right, the answer is 20 I just want to hear you say it. The answer, how much is this worth? $20. $20. Okay, now watch this. How much is it worth? You know what's amazing about a $20 bill and the paper they make it out of? You give it time, it'll start to open itself up. 
Don't watch that $20 bill. Watch me. <laughs> It'll start to open itself up. In fact, if I, if I take that $20 bill, and I just happen to have two of them today. My dad's drawer. Thank you, Dad. All right, so if I take that $20 bill and I fold it in half and I hand it to a cashier, what's the first thing they will do? They will open it up. They might even flatten it out, and they'll put it in the right way. Do you realize that, you see, you might get, you might get crumpled up, you might get knocked on the ground, and you might be crushed and you might be dirty. You're still worth exactly what you were before all that happened. And guess what happens? God has this amazing ability to open that back up, flatten it out, and put you right back to the original place. That's what it means to restore all the years the locusts have eaten. God will put you right back to where you were. God will put you back in an even better place. You know, as we begin to think about this eternity crusade and, and kind of what's happening here, I just want to remind you again, the eternity crusade is Friday through Sunday. You know, be here 7 o'clock every night. Bring someone with you. I was over at uh, my bank the other day, and I was talking to the teller, and he said, hey, uh, my dad and I are coming to the crusade. They don't go to this church. Heard about the crusade. We're coming Friday and Saturday night. My dad can't come Sunday, but I'll be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now think about that. A touch of God. And I said, would you just spread the word and bring some people with you? See, it's good that you're coming, but who are you going to tell about coming to that? You see, as we enter into God's protection, we're going to enter into the ark of God, right? That's what we want to do, enter into the ark of God. Look what it says in, in Genesis 6, uh, 18. It says, you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. What you're going to do in life, the way you go into the ark, you build, now watch this, you build on your success. Don't focus on your failure. You build on your success. What is God doing that's good in your life right now? Build on that. Build on what you have. Shape your beliefs around God. Don't shape your beliefs around life and circumstances and move in the spiritual dimension. Let God begin to work in your life. John chapter 3 and verse 12, Jesus said this, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? You see, if I'm struggling in the natural realm, what am I going to do when I get into the supernatural realm? What am I going to do when I get into the things that are really big that God wants to do in my life? I love these words from Bill Johnson. He said, he was expressing a desire to reveal to us about what's happening in the spiritual realm that have no corresponding earthly picture. You look at your life and you see things going on. You go, God, I don't even know how to put this together. God says, I do. I know how to put it together. He goes on to say, I am convinced that as his government and kingdom rule increase on this earth, that's in you. As it says throughout Scripture, of the increase of his government, there be no end. God is wanting to reign in you in greater ways. The increase of his government never stops. Never stops. God rule over me. God take me. And, and it, it's one of those things where when it, God empowers me and rules over me, he gives me greater power, greater authority, greater stewardship. He says, there will be no end, and we're engulfed in the glory of God. The church will receive a revelation like never before. So here's what happens. When I begin to tap into the spiritual things of God, the great things of God, God's rule over me becomes greater, and God's glory on me becomes even richer. And I begin to move in this realm where, where I really do understand thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is already being done here in heaven. Amen?
Amen. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. God has given you what you need to succeed. That baseball player, he had everything he needed. He just didn't know it. You have everything you need to succeed. You just may not know it because you've been beat down or you've beat yourself down so long. You just stand on first. You know, first base is a nice place, but guess what? You don't score any points staying on first base. You got to go to second. You got to take a risk. You got to go to third. You got to take a risk. You got to run to home. You got to take a risk. You have to, secondly, step into your destiny. God has a destiny for everyone. God has a purpose. God has a plan. You have to just step into God, I'm going to accept that. I'm going to step into that. I'm going to receive all that you have for me, God, because I know you have great things in store for me. Amen? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, as we pray, we, just, uh, we ask you, God, to, to touch our heart right now with this message. God, you are, uh, you, there's some people right now say, I have been stuck on first base a long time, too long. I, I got to look to the stands. I got to look up and see God. God's got the, the ball that I hit up in the stands. He said, would you run the bases with me? Would you really let me control your future? I'm urging you on. I'm driving you on. You've got everything you need to succeed. Would you just step into the destiny that I have for you, Lord? Lord, would you just allow us to see that? Would you let every person here begin to see that in their life right now? Would you let them see it? Let me ask you this. It's kind of a hard question to ask, but how many of you feel like that $20 bill that I crumbled up, I dropped to the floor, and I stepped on? Just slip your hand up, would you? I feel like that. Okay, God bless you. You don't have to keep it up. Can I ask you to do this right now? Can I ask you just to say, I'm going to reject that. I'm going to reject that false belief right now. I give that up, God. I, I, I give that up. That's not your destiny for me. Just release that right now. Okay, let me ask some of you. How many of you feel like you're on first base and you should be running? How many of you just feel like, just raise your hand. God bless you. Anybody? Yeah, God bless you guys. Thank you, ladies. Can I just say this? Run. 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 You hit a home run, you don't even know it. Would you run the bases, please? Don't slow down. Don't look back. Run the bases. God has a destiny for you. He wants points on the board. He wants you to know you're a winner. You're successful. He loves you. He's in covenant with you. He's in relationship with you. Everything he has is yours. He's a great God and a good God. He loves every one of us. For everybody here, would you just recommit your life to him? Would you say, God, I want to be closer to you than I've ever been before in my life. I want to love you more, and I want to know your love more. I want to feel the richness of your grace, the kindness of your mercy, the joy that's unspeakable to overflow in me and out of me. 
And would you just praise him? And every time you begin to slip back and run back to first base, every time you feel like that, that bill that's wadded up and dropped to the floor, would you just say, God, no, you're for me. You are for me, God. You're for me. And if you're for me, then nothing in life or in the life to come, nothing in my past and my future will ever be able to separate me from that fact, that truth, that you are for me. God, we give you praise today because you're for us. You're not against us. You love us. You want relationship with us more than we could ever imagine. You never judge us. You never condemn us. You never make us feel guilty, God. You just restore us in love. Let the love of God just sweep over you right now and just thank him in your own heart. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, we want, to, uh, we want to just say a couple of things as you're going out. Uh, Jared and Lucinda are going to be in the coffee shop when you, if you go out that way. And, and they need some help um, with a few details on the crusade. And if you've got some time to give tomorrow, uh, this week sometime, would you just go back and say, hey, I'm, maybe I only have an hour, but I, I'd like to help. I want to be a part of the crusade. So we could use you to take that step and and use your time for the kingdom. And then also this week, man, get on the phone, call your friends, invite everybody you know, say, hey, why don't you come on Friday with me or Saturday or Sunday? Here's three options you have. We'd like you to be a part of one of these events with us. Amen? All right, let me just bless you as we go out. Let's bow our heads. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you in all that you do. And may you run the basis that God has set before you. May it be the joy that is before you that you look and say, God is for me and nothing and no one is against me. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great day in the Lord.